Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 97, the 660s BC, part 2 of 4. Uh, we are in 668 and we are reading from the Babylonian Chronicle again. Uh, the accession year of Sama Shuma-Ukin, that is the brother of Ashurbanipal. And uh, the year is given is uh, 668-667 then because of the split of the Babylonian year compared to us. In the month Ayaru, April-May, you harvest sowing sesame. Uh, Bel and the gods of Akkad went out from Ashur. And on the 25th day of the month Ayaru, they entered Babylon. Nabu and the gods of Borsippa went to Babylon. And Borsippa is a Babylonian city. We talked about it before. It's the city of truth and justice. Oh. And Nabu is the son of Marduk. He goes to Babylon every year to see his father for the Akitu festival. More on this in a few minutes. And uh, what actually happens here then is Shamas Shumaukin. That's a great yeah. name. He's installed as the king of Babylon. Uh, as a subordinate king to Ashurbanipal. Mm-hmm. This is probably not going to lead to good probably things. Not. No, and even here, it took a year. This is like, it took a year until he was installed as king of Babylon. Because remember, the last year was when we read that Ashurbanipal became the king of Assyria. Yeah, that, that's probably Ashurbanipal asserting himself as the number one guy in Assyria first, mm-hmm. before he leaves Babylon to be governed by his brother. Right. But this is a great way to avoid uh, doing the duties of the Babylonian king himself. So I can see the use of this move, but it's dangerous. Definitely. These guys have egos, you know, and then it's not good to... Yeah, spoiler, the Assyrians will never really figure out how to handle Babylon. (laughs) It has been a constant problem since we began this podcast. And uh, yes, it's just, they never find a good Mm -hmm. way to rule Babylon. No. And we have a lot, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the 50s. Oh, we'll Mm -hmm. get to that. Do you want to do the sure, next yeah. part? In that same year, 
Kirbitium was taken and its king captured. And this was a region to the east of Babylonia and was apparently harassing Babylon. I'm not really sure if this king had any brains because, like, I mean, we raiding Babylonia so the Assyrians will come and kill you. But that's what happened to him. That seems like a very short-sighted uh, Seriously, I mean, yeah. They just, you know, what was this about? You look at, they were making raids into Babylonia. Or maybe it was just the Assyrians saying that, oh, this guy's harassing yeah, us. Yeah, it could be. It's possible. But he was like, well, I'm not harassing you. Oh, you are harassing us. Maybe they're all just trying, you know, maybe they're trying to make them lose all the, use all their arrows up. <laughs> all these wars. I mean, just think how many arrows they must go through. So... <laughs> Anyway, seriously, though, I mean, that's, you definitely can't just keep going to war if you got to make a million arrows every time you go out. And remember that the Assyrians are merchants and capitalists, yeah. so somebody's getting rich in Assyria yeah. making right. tons of arrows. Right, you're right. That was, that's the industrial military complex of Assyria was the arrow factories. The arrow barons. Yeah, for sure. So let's see. On the 20th day of the month to Betu, which is December, January, and sowing of onions, Bel Atir the judge of Babylon was taken prisoner and executed. So I couldn't find out what he did, actually, but I don't think anybody really knows. But um, there's some other tablets with that same name and business transactions from the same time. And also in the 650s, though, so it's, it clearly can't be the same guy. And then Bell is the Akkadian word for Lord. So there's a lot of people named Bell. So Bell Atir, there could be a lot of Bell Atir, but that's like Lord Atir. Maybe Bell Atir is the Lord Yad. Yeah, exactly. So there's, you know, they're always conspiring against the Assyrians in Babylon. So, of course, that's the deal there. And then there's another chronicle that's about the same. And it says, it's called the Akitu Chronicle. And it says, for eight years under Sennacherib, for 12 years under Ezerhaddon, 20 years altogether, Bel stayed in Baltil, which is the word for Asher. And the Akitu festival did not take place. The accession year of Samasumaukan. In the month of Ajuru, Bel and the gods of Akkad went out from Baltil, and on the 24th day of the month, Ajuru, they entered Babylon. Nabu and the gods of Borsippa went to Babylon. Well, first of all, unfortunately, we, this is the last we have of this chronicle until 652 BC, which just stinks because there was, you know, it was good to get that information. But you can see the Babylonians were really big on that the fact that they didn't have this festival for 20 years. And it was because of the Assyrians. Since Sennacherib sacked Babylon, took all the statues, they haven't been able to have this festival. So they're really mad about it. Now, they So this is a great it. populist move by Shamashumukin. He's returning the statues. Right. Shamashimukin and Ashurbanipal, they all, they're, yeah, they're returning the statues. And then they were, they're able to have this festival, which is the Babylonian New Year's Eve festival. Not New Year's Eve, I'm sorry. It's the New Year's festival and celebrates the, sir, their supreme god Marduk and his crown prince and the other gods. And it's the actual statue of Marduk himself that is returning to Babylon. Correct. And that's uh, that's pretty important. Super important. It's the main god of Babylon, and this would give them ideas of independence again. Oh, yeah. So of course, they already had those ideas. But I mean, you know, the Assyrians, they did a rule over that festival before they sacked Babylon. It's just a huge, it's a huge festival. I, I like to talk, I'm talk about it a little bit. It's like it's a huge thing. Is what they do is they, um, it starts on the first of the year. And that's, you know, that's in March and April. So that's the first of the, because of the harvest time, you know, it's a agricultural schedule. It was celebrated in two locations at the Supreme Temple of the God Marduk and the House of the New Year, which was situated north of the city. 
um, the two gods in the center of the festival were Nabu and his father, Marduk, who was the supreme god. And he was called Bel, Lord, just like we call, you know, the Lord, that kind of thing. And the high priest of the temple opened the festival, saying the new year has begun. Uh, To the populace, this meant the beginning of a whole week of holiday. And the same day the king went the king went to the temple where the high priest gave him the royal scepter. Then he traveled to Borsippa, which is seventeen kilometers downstream, and they had a famous Nabu temple. And there the king spent the night. And the same year the high priest recited the Babylonian creation epic and the house of the new year. So then on the fifth day the king returned to Babylon, accompanied by the statue of Nabu, and the statue was left behind at the Urus Gate. And the king went to the temple to greet Marduk. And here's the cool. He had to do this humbly, laying down his weapons, his crown, and his scepter. And the high priest listened to the king's words that he had not sinned against Marduk. And then he hit him very hard on the cheek. The priest hit the king very hard on the cheek. And the king had to have tears in his eyes. And supposedly this is punishment for sins that were unwillingly committed. Kneeling in front of the statue of Marduk, the king receives an oracle about the future and he was given back his royal insignia. At sunset, the king and the high priest performed a not-completely-understood ritual with a white bull. I won't get into any more of that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The next day, the statue of Nabu visited the temple of Ninurta, where it defeated two enemies in the form of some little golden statuettes. It then continued to the temple, where it joined Marduk's statue. And then at the same time, all the other gods arrived in Babylon. So now this party's been going on for this is on the seventh day. Seven days, all the statues are cleaned and they get new dresses. And the next day, the festival reached its climax when all the statues were brought out from the rooms and uh, shown to the Babylonian populace. And all the gods were present to honor Marduk in their parliament. So it's like his conference, his um, his congress there. They announced a policy for the next year. It's like the State of the Union speech by the American president. Uh, as far as we know, it was always a blessing, fortune, joyful tidings, these kind of things. And they went around the city and um, with the statues, 
the king guided the supreme god, and the last part of the route, the ships were placed on chariots so that the gods were driven to the house of the new year in, in ships. And the, this is the part, it's cool too, there, the people were just singing all kinds of songs. There was like frivolous hymns of sexuality and a uh, song about Marduk's father and just... I, I mean, it was just a huge party for, you know, seven days in Babylon. They couldn't have it for 20 years because of the statues weren't there. So that must have been a really cool party. I have two reflections. First, did Shama Shumukin really take a beating from the high priest? Mm-hmm. But he probably did then if he wanted to do this properly. Yeah. And the second reflection is there seems to be a lot of carrying of statues in this yes. festival <laughs> and a lot of rather boring things. But uh, it is a lot of time to have a festival for a week. So maybe the rest of it was just drinking and partying and having a good time. I bet it was that. I bet you the priests did their thing, but the rest of it was drinking and partying and having a good time. We we do have a, something sort of like that in our area here. It's an old Italian. So we have a lot of Italian immigrants here. I'm half Italian. We have a city here that they have a festival where the saints do a race and the people carry the statues of the saints in a race. And it's all drinking and partying. What what happens if you drop the saints? They never do. They never do. You have to pick, you know, strong young guys that get to run with the saints. Interesting. Okay. What what time of year is that? That's the summer. The St. Ubaldo Festival, it's called. Wow. And uh, yeah, they carry the the saints in a race. And, you know, the the St. Ubaldo always wins. It's that sort of a deal. And people line up along the track. And, you know, the older people are more religious about it. And the younger people are drinking. So we'll put the Akito Festival in our top 10 list of events to attend if we ever get the time yes, machine. Yes, it'll be Dan and Bernie's excellent adventure. <laughs> I think we would stick out in uh, well, Babylonia. We have to dress. <laughs> yeah, we have to dress the part. You'll probably get by because you pronounce the words so well. I'll be the one immediately. They'll, they'll, they'll catch on me. They would burn us both. <laughs> We'll get right back in the time machine. We, uh, so please support us on Patreon so we can uh, start building the time yes, machine. that would be awesome. We probably need a quintillion dollars, <laughs> so make a substantial contribution, please. We'll start with a dollar a month. A buck an episode, that's all we ask. <laughs> yes, from 68 million people, or quintillion people. Yeah, exactly. Time for some grease. Yeah, 668 still. It was an Olympic year, and there was some drama, but I have the victors. Well, what we know anyway, and um, boxing was not me. It was a Daipos of Croton, and um, Croton was a Greek colony in Calabria in Italy. It's on the bottom of the boot, and their inhabitants are famous for physical strength. And I just want to throw this in, because this is the hometown of Milo of Croton, who would later become a legendary wrestler of tremendous strength. And I have this a friend, he's our boxing swimming coach, and he always tells a story about how Milo's put a uh, Ken, by the way, shout out to Ken. So he, um, Milo's, the story goes that he started with a calf, put it on his shoulders, not a, like a, like a cow, like a calf of a bull. And he put it on his shoulders and he'd walk around with it. And as the cow got bigger and bigger and bigger, he got stronger because, you know, the cow got bigger, like lifting weights. So that's the, he's from the 500s BC. So he's a long way off. I can see some holes in this uh, story. Like, didn't the calf get m- malnutrition yeah, or? Suffer from the lack of movement. Yeah, I mean, maybe just, you know, put it down every so often. You know how these stories are, they embellish. Yes. This could be the reason why the Assyrians have great calves. Calves, that's, yeah, could be why. Okay, maybe there's a difference between calves uh, I know, and they calves. calf raises with the calf. <laughs> Sorry, oh, go right. on. 
The stadium was won by Charmus of Sparta. I don't have any info on this guy. But it's another Spartan Spark. winning the Olympics. Go Sparta! Yeah. And then the pentathlon was won by Philombrotos of Sparta. And I don't have any information on this guy, but I don't think we talked about the pentathlon before. Well, we can do it again if we did. Yeah, so it derives from the combining the words penta and athlon, which means five competition. Five events over one day. It started with the stadium and then followed by the javelin throw, the discus throw, and the long jump. And we're not sure which order those were in. And then ended in wrestling, which is crazy, right? You have like, like a race and some throwing and then wrestling. Uh, you know, it's yeah. like single events and then you fight somebody. But that's funny because they said the pentathletes were considered to be inferior to the specialized athletes in a certain event. But that means they were superior overall in development because they're the most well-balanced of all the athletes. And their training was part of military service. Each of the five events was thought to be useful in battle, though I don't know how useful long jump is in battle. Yeah, maybe jump over like, um, oh, maybe like when, you know, jump over a moat for the castle. Not the castle, but, you know, the city. I don't know much about uh, sports today, but the decathlon is uh, the 10 yeah, uh, things. And that, that's uh, th those uh, athletes are also inferior than specialized athletes, but very good overall. Yeah, right. And I'm pretty sure there's not wrestling in the decathlon. That uh, I, I do believe you correct, are yeah. correct. Oh, Argos news. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the drama. This is probably the year that Phidon, who was the tyrant of Argos, was asked by the town of Pisa to capture the sanctuary of Zeus, is where the Olympics were held. And so he did. And he personally presided over the games. So that mm. was some drama. And then Elis took back the, the sanctuary. Yeah, the next year, but a, he ruined those Olympics. Yeah, so seems like a PR move yeah. for him. Yeah. I mean, he physically took over the Olympics. Well, while the Spartans were busy fighting uh, the Second Mycenaean mm -hmm. War. Apparently. What more can you tell me about well, Phidon? an interesting character, actually. Uh, some say he was a noble, some say he's a king, and either way, he overthrew who was in charge, and he was an usurper, and he became more a tyrant. And sort of like Gyges, who was a tyrant, which means he seized control. He wasn't the rightful king. Likely mm. overthrew the aristocracy with the help of the lower classes. But this kicks off the age of the tyrants in the Greek world. Because then there was other tyrants around the, you know, around the Greek world. So this is the age of the tyrants. Um, yeah, these guys did a lot of big building projects to, you know, please the masses. That's why they had that support of the lower classes. But then they needed money. You know, they need a way to pay these guys. So this could sort of be when why money became needed. We also see that they may need some kind of money to pay their mercenaries um, at the time. But it's been said that Fiden was the first to coin money. But Herodotus says, and it's pretty much believed it was the Lydians. And the earliest coins found in Argos are from the 500s. And we, we did say that, you know, the Lydians are the ones who started money. But he had, Fiden had something to do with standardizing weights. So he may, that may be why they think he started money. You know, he would give you a pound of silver or, you know, this much gold for, for doing this or that. So, but the really cool thing is yeah. that he is probably the inventor of the hoplite as we know it and, and a proto phalanx. Ooh. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It happened right here in the 660s BC on our podcast. That's a major invention. Yeah, right. And I didn't just. We yeah. know that uh, the phalanxes had existed before in other countries, but not in Greece. Yes, correct. Right. So the Greek style of the phalanx and the Greek hoplite, we think, you know, and this is pretty 
we're pretty sure, you know, this is the era when it started, because even the Spartans didn't use a phalanx at this time, you know, that's why they were fighting, you know, the Messenians were still battling with them. And the main thing is, is the shield, um, the abscess, because it had, they called the grip on it, the Argive grip, because that placed uh, mm-hmm. the handle in the center of the shield and it had a leather strap to fasten your forearm. I, I don't know if it would fit the Assyrians, but so <laughs> can't stop, right? And, uh, like, so could you imagine, though, you have the shield, it's like fum- you're fumbling with your shield and oh, brilliant, let's just strap it on. So now you have the shield, you could hit people with the shield, and you could hold your spear under your arm. You know, you're not fumbling with your shield. So, and that's, you know, uh, that one little thing is, is the start of the phalanx. And so then this made him powerful. So he took the show on the road, and, they, you know, he defeated a Spartan invasion at the Battle of Hasai in 668, which is right around the time of the Second Messinian War. There's not a lot of sources, and I did read a lot. I found, you know, it was just like little blurbs, but... There, there was, you know, apparently a battle there, and um, you know, Argos was victorious. A lot of uh, Greek sources uh, mentioned that the Spartans were never defeated, and in that podcast I mentioned before, the Ancient History Warfare podcast, that's the, their most common in joke. That, uh, but the Spartans were never defeated, and then they are defeated all the time. Right. So, uh, but they, they were pretty quick to adapt this, and they became quite proficient in phalanx warfare. Mm-hmm. And strong and, you know, and like we said, veterans and used to it and willing to die. Yeah, and extremely uh, well, well trained uh, in uh, physical endurance. Yeah. Not only calves and forearms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if this Plutarch has a good little story about Phidon. Um, can I read that? Yeah, a man named Phidon, who was striving to make himself ruler of the Peloponnesians and wished his own native city of Argos to be the leader of all the other states, plotted first against the Corinthians. He sent and asked of them the thousand young men who were the best in vigor and valor, and they sent the thousand, putting a man named Dexander in command of them. Now Phidon intended to make an onslaught upon these men, and and, uh, he was going to kill them so that Corinth might be weakened, and he might have the city in his power. For he considered that it would be the most advantageous bulwark of the whole Peloponnesus, and he confided this matter to some of his friends, among whom was Habron. Now he was a friend of Dexander, this Habron was, and told him of the plot. So before the onslaught was made, the thousand young men escaped back safely to Corinth. He's a trickster. This this uh, story just makes me convinced that everybody was stupid. Like the, the whole trick seems stupid. Like, please send a thousand strong young men. Then you think that Corinthians would go, why? <laughs> but Phaedon obviously had a good reason for that. And then oh, I'm going to kill them all. I have to talk to my friends about my cunning plan. <laughs> and then Hebron goes like, well, he's going to kill you all. So you better not come here. And they asked, okay, we'll go back oh to Corinth. Gosh, right? Corinth is situated in an extremely strategic position for control of the Peloponnese. So that Phaedon was correct in that. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that is a great little, these great little stories. I think they just drank a lot. You know, <laughs> Probably. They're just drinking. And then they said, I, I'm going to kill all those guys. So yeah, around this time, well, so then he died. We don't know exactly when, but they said he died during a battle 
a factional battle in Corinth after their king was overthrown. So, like, these guys were talking other people into overthrowing their kings. It's definitely like a revolution of tyrants. And um, around this time, also, the Second Mycenaean War ends. That's really, it's, it's really hard to date it. So we'll just put it here in 668. And it does end with uh, Sparta winning, right? Yes, it ends with Sparta winning. Good work, Sparta. Yeah. And then they made the slaves out of them. Oh, no. So that was it, though, for the Spartans as far as colonizing, as we said before. That was, um, you know, they had their own... Basically, they had their hands full with their with their helots there, with the Mycenaeans. And they had a lot of land, too, so they really didn't need to go, you know, island hopping like the other ones. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I missed this one little part when we talked about the war originally. So what happened was, the part I missed, and I guess it's good for now, we could use it now since it's over. The yes. Spartans went to the, to the Oracle of Delphi asking for help, what they should do about the war because it was going on so long. Oracle told them to go get a poet from Athens, get somebody from Athens. And the Athenians didn't want to give them anybody, so they gave them this lame old stupid schoolmaster guy that they thought was, you know, going to be just a fool. And it turns out he was their savior because he wrote all these poems and hymns and songs that, you know, motivated the Spartans, and then they came back and then they won. That's how the story was. Inspirational poetry. From the lame poet from Athens. Good work, lame poet of Athens. (laughs) Was he both lame and blind? He wasn't blind, because I double, double, triple checked it recently. They just said he was stupid. Huh. Oh. <laughs> and lame. Lame and stupid. I mean, I don't know if lame has anything to do with being stupid, obviously. So, just, you know. Obviously, he wasn't that stupid, because he helped them. Uh, maybe he was bullied in Athens, and now probably. he found he was, I think that's probably it. Let's proceed to 667. Yeah. 667, the Greek state of Megara founds the colony of Byzantium, which would become Constantinople is and is today Istanbul. The site of the Byzantine Empire. Yes, so a long ancient much, city. Much, much later. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets its founding. And the Byzantine Empire, and it's called Byzantium in 667 BC, so I had a lot of... The name carried itself a long way. It's such a perfect spot for a city. That's a strategic location, right at the very border of Egypt and Asia. Mm-hmm. And you control the entry to the Black Sea, and it's just a great spot. Absolutely. I mean, remember that they had the, you remember how it went, right? The other colony that was nearby, the colony of the blind. No. Remember, um, remember Chalcedon? Remind me. They founded that in the 680s, and they called it the City of the Blind. Here's the story. A legend has the founder was this guy named Bizus, and his father went to the oracle and said we need to found a new colony. And she told him to set up his new colony in the land opposite the city of the blind. <laughs> Remember? So when he got there, he realized that there was a colony on the other side. And they said, they must have been blind to set up here. This is a great spot. <laughs> uh, so. Really good question. Why they didn't set up on the big, on the good spot? Before, right? Because they might have been blind, as they say. I mean, wonder why didn't anybody else set up there before? So. Uh, somebody must have in all those years before, but maybe it was a dangerous place to be if you couldn't fortify it and uh, because everybody was passing through right yeah, there. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, so the guy's name was Byzus, Byzus, and that's why it's Byzantium. Yeah, and, uh, makes sense. But then it became Constantinople. You know why Constantinople got the works? Nobody's no. business but the Turks. You know the song? <laughs> 
You know the song? The song? No, I don't oh, know, don't the, know song. the song. Oh, it's um, it's well, a lot of people would know the "They Might Be Giants" song. It's Istanbul, was Constantinople. It's, yeah. Okay. So, um, it's um, Istanbul was Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. People will know it. So it's a "They Might Be Giants" song, but it's actually a remake of a song by this another band. Um, called The Four Lads. There's a little extra history. I'll throw this in here. So Istanbul, not Constantinople. It's a 1953 novelty song with lyrics by Jimmy Kennedy and music by Nat Simon, performed by The Four Lads. It was written on the 500th anniversary of the fall of Constantinople to the Ottomans. And the lyrics humorously referred to the official 1930 renaming of the city of Constantinople to Istanbul. Ah, did not oh, know that. See. Maybe it's an um, American thing. My, my father actually used to sing that song. Oh, he did? I remember now, but I, I never know where he got it from. <laughs> so now I know. You have resolved this lifelong mystery there you for go. me. I, my, my kids are probably saying the same thing because I sing it all the time. I actually went to Istanbul in the 90s and I couldn't get out. It was in my head the whole time. Oh, I've never been oh, there. It's, it, I, I had the option of going. It was in Bulgaria, and it was like a two-day trip to Istanbul with the. But we decided to stay at a hotel and uh, just uh, drink and uh, do other things there. Well, if I'm yeah, instead. well, that I went the opposite. I know you're absolutely right because I went the opposite way. I took the two-day trip from Istanbul to Bulgaria. Oh, yeah, brutal, brutal trip. In what sense? Like just bus, train, border. Like, oh, uh, people on the bus smoking the whole time. You know, eight hours on a bus of people smoking, and it took forever, like you said. I uh, was going to go with a shorter company, so my bus would have been very comfortable. But I was on my honeymoon, and I hadn't started Final History ah. at the time. This was back in 2012. Uh-huh. And this was back in me. This was in the 90s, and I didn't have any money. I was backpacking. But yeah, oh. Where were we in Bulgaria? I was in Sofia. I was in, God, I can't remember, that normal tourist spot for Scandinavian tourists in Bulgaria. Oh, there were Scandinavians on the bus with us, I remember, at the end, and we went to see the bear together. Go- Golden Beach or something? Oh, there was, though. I remember. Anyway, I digress. Maybe someday we'll all get back, right? Yes. With the Final History Tour. Yeah. When we get this going. Yeah, we'll get that going. Let's, don't forget, a buck an episode. We'll save the money. That and the time machine. <laughs> yes. Oh, first a trip to Bulgaria, then the time okay. machine. I think that's the, the right way to Absolutely. Go. They had an awesome place where you could eat like the the Bulgars. So they had a gigantic tent and you were eating like uh, barbecued meat like the Bulgars did when they invaded Bulgaria. Ah. Okay, we have we have now gone yeah, to the track. That. Sorry. Sorry, fans. Back to Megara. Yes. Yeah, so we like I said, Chalcedon, the city of the blind, it was also a Megaran colony, so um, I did my little distance thing. The distance from Megara to Byzantium is about 1,100 kilometers or 885 miles. It would take you 12 hours by car on the E90 today. Or if you flew, it would be an hour and 20 minutes. And I, I did take that route on a train. I took the train to Istanbul and then back to Bulgaria. I think that's how it went. But anyway, I remember looking out the windows. Beautiful. Very beautiful. So, um, but they would have took it by ship and it would have taken them, I think, at least 30 days to get there. 
So well, it's not like super far, you know, it's not like going, you know, across the giant ocean, but like I said, that was Byzantium, then Constantinople, then Istanbul was a, had a long history. It was in the imperial capital. So how about this? It was an imperial capital under the Romans and then the Ottomans from 330 CE till 1922. So that's been a capital, like a capital of a major empire since 330 CE till 1922. And today it's the most populous city in Turkey and one of the most populous in the world with uh, 14 million population. Also the biggest city in Europe. Yeah. If you count it as Europe. Yeah, because you go bull, you can walk across the bridge and go over the other side. Well, if you ask people from London or Paris, they will say that only the European side of Constantinople counts. Uh, so we are bigger. Yes. Actually, Constantinople plays a part in my novel about Alaric and the fall of Rome in 410 uh, CE. But that's uh, another Are you still story. writing it? Uh, no, oh, I'm not. Right. And I haven't finished right. it. But uh, there's a lot of scenes set in Constantinople under Emperor Arcadius in, from 395 to 410. So I know way too much <laughs> about Roman politics in the period 395 to 410 CE. It does. There's more information than you think, right? When you really start digging into this stuff. Yes, and that's why I stopped writing the book, because it started to become a fact book. Yeah. And I found the balance very hard. To yeah. Keep. So now I, I write mainly fantasy. Ah, all right. Well, I still, I'm still impressed that you, the other writing you do. Yeah. Thank you. I know that's difficult. If you, if you can read Swedish, you can read I my books. I can't but, even do that either. So if you have Swedish listeners, ask me and I'll tell you about my books. Uh, we are going back to Syria. Yes, It's the rest of the Isarhaddon Chronicle. It's mostly broken mm, up. Unfortunately. So this will be very unsatisfying to read, but I'll yeah. try anyway. The first year of Shama Shumaukin, that is 66766, uh, something, two, something. Taharka, king of Egypt, something. Egypt, something. Neko, king of Egypt, something. Well, that's all we have for 667 in the Chronicle. But you have something else. Yeah, well, I have like this. I have... Because of, like I was saying, you could find all this stuff on the internet. I have all the inscriptions from Ashurbanipal, because as we know, he was a scholar and he had a, tons of stuff. So he has all of his things. So the only pro difference is between his stuff and the Babylonian Chronicle is he doesn't date it the way they do. You know, they say the first mm. year to second year. He'll say, like, on my second campaign, on my third. So we can't, like, get the dates exactly you know, down to the year, but we can get the time. So my point is we're not losing all the information. You know, we just don't have those, That's... you know, year to year things, which for me doing this podcast with you is make the research is great because we could just put it. This is what happened in this year for sure. So, yeah, it's been a problem with all the Assyrian yeah. kings. I, I will probably go on about Ashurbanipal's library a lot in this podcast. I'll not mention it oh, now. Okay. Proceed. Oh, right. So, yeah. So what, what's going on here? Well, we know back in 669, remember, Ezra hadn't died on his way to Egypt. So um, while Ashurbanipal was occupied at home, you know, with the changing over the everything, Taharka took advantage of the situation and he attacked the Assyrian garrison at Memphis and he occupied the city. So then Ashurbanipal sent an Assyrian force to Egypt. He didn't go with his armies ever. He, he was not like the other kings. He let his generals do the work. So he sent the Turtanu, which is an Akkadian word for commander-in-chief or like a prime minister, and the chief eunuch went to the army. So what they also, seems they did, is they went through the Levant, 
and they picked up a bunch of um, troops there. So that's another thing real quick is like you look at a map of the Syrian Empire in the old days. And a lot of times you'll see like Judah as being like not part of it. But that's not really true because they were a client state and there was 22 other client states in the area. So, you know, technically they weren't an Assyrian province, but they didn't really have, you know, they were client states of Assyria. So anyway, they went through, picked up all these other, you know, soldiers, probably had their own arrows and everything else. You know, you can imagine how much stuff they would need. Um, and they arrived in Egypt and this army fought a pitched battle with Kushites in um, the vicinity of Karbanite. And this is probably near Memphis. And I'm telling you, you could spend hours trying to dig into people saying where it is. So it's near Memphis, I'm pretty sure. And the Assyrians won, and Taharqa fled from Memphis, and he went down to Thebes. And that is a distance of 481 miles or 774 kilometers. That I know. I could check that. So 481 miles away, Taharqa goes down to Thebes. Thebes is also the uh, traditional stronghold of the Nubian kings in Egypt. So that's the last line. The last line of defense against the evil Assyrians. Unless they come to Nubia, of course. Right. That's really getting That's not very likely. That's really running down there. So then, yeah, the chief eunuch, not the Tertano, Tanto, right? Just the chief eunuch. He went south by foot and ship to follow. And this voyage lasted 10 months. So that suggests there was like, you know, resistance along the way. And, you know, some kind of gorillas, not the animals, the gorillas, humans. So Taharqa made, went um, to Thebes, right? And the Syrians 10 months later go down there to get them. And maybe because they were worn out, it appears that Taharqa beat the Assyrians here. Or maybe the chief eunuch was just taking his time, enjoying the pleasures. Maybe it did. Maybe. I don't know how many pleasures a eunuch could have, though. We'll talk about gorillas very soon, actually, in this podcast. You're right. Because uh, we will address the question, did the Phoenicians circumvent Africa? And that story involves gorillas. Yes, it does. I know it, too. But it, it's probably for the next It's uh, a while. The next and century, see, that's right? why you are, like I said, you have all that knowledge in your in your head about, you know, history like those guys. I, I, I would have forgot that if I ever knew it. But I do know it now from this. And. And the, and that has to do with this podcast because this is the dynasty that does that gorilla trip. Right. And I believe he was Neko too. Right. Okay. So anyway, um, but it appears that Taharka wins again. So Taharka beats the Assyrians every so often. Way to go, Taharka. Right. So he, he beats them here. And then those three guys up north, they say, oh, crap, the Assyrians got beat. Right. All of them. He, All three. Yeah. The three guys, the three guys we mentioned before that uh, that um, Ezra Haddon had installed up there, um, and one of them was Neko. These guys decided to revolt against the Assyrians, but don't forget the other. But they, they don't have Nubian support up I there. I know. Well, that's How what I mean. Go? He figured that they'll beat them. He figured the Assyri- They must Uh-oh. have figured the Assyrians went down, and that uh, Taharqa beat the Assyrians. Yeah, but you probably need the Nubians to beat the Assyrians. Probably do need them to, you know, but, you know, I just think there's not information like we had today, like we have today. Because even today, people say fake news. Yeah, that's fake news. Yeah, so, like, so. You, somebody comes and says, you know, the Assyrians are pretty tough. Ah, they're probably not that tough. <laughs> fake news. Uh-oh. Yeah, not a good idea. But then don't forget that only the chief eunuch went south. The prime minister, the, tar- the other guy, the Tartutu. The Turtano, you know, I'm the worst. So he was still there. 
and the conspiracy was discovered. So, yeah, Uh-oh. right? So the cities where these guys were in charge of were slaughtered. All of them. Yeah, they slaughtered the cities. But what happens is one of these guys uh, escaped, just escaped somehow. The other two, they captured. The Syrians took them to Nineveh. Oh, no. What do you no. think happened to them? You should go down. They were never heard from again. Right? Well, not, not yes and no. Because okay. for some reason, Neko was pardoned and reinstated as the ruler of Saiz. And they threw in Memphis, too. Yeah. What? They keep you guessing, those Assyrians. Or maybe Neko was just uh, the king of sweet talk. Yeah. He, that's what I mean. It reminds me, I don't know, there's this Netflix series, Ozark, and this guy goes against the cartel, Mexican cartel, and every episode they're about to kill him. And he goes, I'll, I'll fix this. He always, like, sweet talks his way out of it. That's Neko, though. Yeah, that's Neko. I have this, I have, oh, against the Assyrian troops, my royal host, which I had stationed in Egypt at their request, they planned evil. My officials heard these matters, seized their couriers, together with their messages, and saw with their own eyes their rebellious plot. They seized these kings and bound them hand and foot with bonds and fetters of iron. The curse of Asher, king of gods, overtook them, because they sinned against the oath they had sworn by the great gods. I required at their hands the good which I had done them in kindness. And the people of Sais, Pentiti, and Sinu, And the rest of the cities, as many had joined with them in plotting evil, they struck down with the sword. Both great and small, not a man of them escaped. Their corpses, they hung on stakes. They stripped them of their skins and covered the city walls with them. These kings who had planned evil against the armies of Assyria, they brought before me to Nineveh. I had mercy upon Niku, one of their number, spared his life and laid an oath more drastic than the former upon him. I clothed him in splendid garments, laid upon his neck a golden chain as an emblem of his royalty. I put gold rings upon his fingers, gave him an iron girdle dagger set in gold, having written my name upon it. Chariots, horses, and mules I presented to him for his royal riding. My officials I sent with him at his request to serve as prefix. I set him back to his post at Saiz, where his father had set him up as king and his son. I set over Hathrabiah. I showed even greater favor than that of my father. So he forgave him and made him king. Put him in charge. That's such an unusual show of mercy. I know. And this is where Neko sort of starts the 26th dynasty, right? Pretty much. More like So now yeah. he's a proper pharaoh, yes. almost. It's like his actually like his son is the one who will start the 26th dynasty. But he must have been one hell of a sweet talker. He must have been. Like, Ashurbanipal, I'm sorry they convinced me to do bad things, but you know, you need me to rule Egypt. You need a guy, a local guy on the scene. I can do exactly. this. Yes, let me try again. Exactly. That's exactly it. I mean, you got to figure how far Egypt is from Nineveh. So, you know, he had to be quite a sweet talker. But we're going to talk more also, about him. W- w- one more spoiler for Ashurbanipal. Because w- when I did the Ashurbanipal episodes back in the day, I-, I thought that all the Assyrian kings would be like him and that there would be massacres all over. But there are really the- these depictions of massacres. Is that it's only Ashurbanipal II who-, who do them like he did them. 
But Ashurbanipal will as well. Yeah. So Ashurbanipal is an exceedingly cruel Assyrian king in his later days. But here he shows yes. mercy. It's quite yeah, amazing. There's judgment too, I would think. Like you said, he, he really needs somebody to run the place. Yeah, and he does massacre some yeah, cities. Yeah, he massacres so. the people. Yeah, that stinks. The king is the guy who does the deed and then the city gets massacred. So this Neko guy, I want to hear yeah, more we're about going him. To, but if we go in order, because something we're still not done, obviously. And I mean, Taharka just beat he just beat the Assyrians at Thebes, so it's not over. So it's a it's a full scale war in Egypt yeah. still. I, I was thinking too, like you know, maybe a lot of times when they took someone to Nineveh and they never heard from him again, maybe they just kept them there. You know yeah. how, like, the, the Babylonians captured the, the the Hebrews and Judah, and they just sort of kept them there? I think somebody should have, would have talked about that, that the Assyrians would have bragged about having all these important yeah, prisoners. Yeah, that's true. On the other hand, maybe they should have bragged about that's killing them as well. That's what I was thinking. So, yeah, you don't know. Maybe, like, to impress them, you know, like in the... And the, their stories here in the U.S. Um, in the late 1800s, when we really became very industrialized, but we were still fighting with the Indians, they would take Indians to Washington, and then the Indians would come back and be like, we don't have a chance against these guys. We have no idea what their cities are like. I'm also thinking of an incident in 260 CE when the uh, king of the Second Persian Empire takes the Roman emperor captive and then uses him as a footstool yeah, right? for... <laughs> For uh, the rest of the emperor's I life. Know. Was it Valens, Valenta, right? And then, of course, he told people about yeah. that. So, but the Assyrians just don't mention these yeah. people that are taken. We just never know. That's the thing. I never heard from again, except Neko. Interesting. Yeah. Neko, the survivor. Yeah, Neko, the survivor for now. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for episode two. Stay tuned for our next episode where we're coming into the year 666. Six. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. Take me back to Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the work? That's nobody's business but the Turks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.